What's up, everybody? Good morning, Emmanuel. How many of you love Jesus today? You love him? Uh, what a great day dedicating children to the Lord and uh, experiencing worship together in Lakeville and Elk River, Maple Grove, Spring Lake Park, and Manual Online. What a great day to be together as a church family. Hey, today we're ending, completing a series called Moving Forward, and we've been talking about how with God there's always fresh new downloads. God's always taking us into his next, that you don't have to remain stuck, that you don't have to be in your past, but that you can move forward. Turn to the person next to you and say, move forward. Somebody just got up from their seat, and they're trying to make their way up in another row there. Uh, we looked at the foundational text in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, where Paul said this. He said, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. We've talked about how God wants to move us forward. Of course, we've got to deal with our past before we cross the river as Israel crossed the Jordan River and God gave Joshua instructions to worship. And last week we talked about the way forward is through personal worship and, and really humbling ourselves and recognizing God's in charge and surrendering our agenda to God. And man, those powerful moments in each of our locations as we stopped and we just worshiped. Some people came to the front. Some people stood where they were. Some people kneeled down. But we all met with God, and you can do that in your kitchen, in your living room, driving down the road, anywhere you go, the kingdom of God is mobile, amen? And uh, you have that opportunity to do that. One of the things that God is doing in moving our church forward is in the next generation. You know, in the last year, with the pandemic and all of the various things that our teenagers and our kids have had to navigate, and our parents, come on somebody, to navigate, it's powerful because God has not forgotten the next generation. God is still on the move. Can I get an amen to that? He's on the move in our kids, and he's on the move in our teenagers. And uh, in our summer camp, our Emmanuel Youth Summer Camp just a few weeks ago, there was a real move of God amongst the teenagers as they worshiped God and they spent time before God. And without knowing it, uh, Pastor Phil did a sneak up on you, and he recorded the worship times in those camp services, and you can catch a glimpse of those. They're on all of the platforms now, iTunes, Spotify, that kind of thing, Emmanuel Youth. Um, it's Sham City is the name of the album because they're at Camp Shamanaw. And, uh, but in the middle of one of those moments, there was a song sung, and uh, when, when I think about the story of how God moves in the next generation, Chase Baker wrote a song that the church... The youth group sang, and uh, his dad was in my youth group, so I'm the youth pastor, and and his Dave's dad, Mel, has been a part of our kids ministry for centuries, and uh, and so it's really cool to see how the move of God has moved from one generation to the next. Well, today, actually yesterday, I was in prayer. I always walk our, our sanctuary and pray, and I, I was praying for our church, and one of the things that I'm praying is that God, 
don't let us just become a church that's stationary and just has memories. I want a move of God in the present day. I want to see generations come alive. I want new people to experience the power of God. I want the next generation to come alive and be bold for Jesus Christ in this era and not be part of fear in the world and, and to be full of faith and to see the community come to know Jesus. And so as I was praying, this song came into my head and I'm like, I need to have Chase sing his song in our church because I want, I want what God is doing in Emmanuel youth to happen in our whole church. And I want you to get a, a little taste of a very big lake and what God is doing in the next generation and may God move that in. And so I'll preach the rest of my message in a moment. Would you give it up for Chase Baker as he sings? I need 
need your love when I'm crying So reach out my hand I'll reach out my hand And I need your love at my highest And I need your love at my lowest And I need your love when I'm crying So reach out my hand I'll reach out my hand And I need your love at my highest And I need your love at my lowest And I need your love when I'm crying So I'll reach out my hand Can you reach out your hand? Cause now I know how great is your love Cause I have your love now so the cry of a generation doesn't have to be perfect but it's crying for a different love right uh, Chase let me ask you a question bro um, what do you what do you want for your heart what do you want for your friends what is it that you want to see happen in this generation I want to see everyone experience love God and if they're not feeling loved and when they're at their lowest and when they're at their highest, I just want them to feel loved. I want everybody to feel loved. Come on. Come on. What I love. Because it's not over when the song is over. There's more going on in that. And uh, when I think about your, your dad, Dave, uh, I watched you at the altars of camps when you were a kid. I watched you play drums in our worship team. And uh, now you're, you're a grown man. And you're, you're praying and believing. You're part of our, you're one of the 
on our board at the church. What are you believing for, for our church? It's multi-generational. I'm reminded that um, God used Paul. He was a murderer. I'm reminded that God used David. He was an adulterer. And I'm reminded that God can use us in our, in our highest and our lowest. It doesn't matter if we yield ourselves to God, if we're completely open, it's going to be awesome. Come on. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I want to, uh, I want to pray um, before I go right into my message today. And I want to pray because in this generation, there's a lot of things going on. There's concern about Afghanistan. There's concern about Haiti. There's concern about virus and everything attached to that worldwide. But the church needs to lean into the love of God in this hour. And he's the one that has the answers, amen? Things that we can't hold together. And so I want to pray that God would do what was just spoken by both Chase and Dave for us, but then he would also do it through us to the world around us. Just put your hands like this, like you're praying with, with me. Father, we come before you as one church, and we ask that you would help us to capture the mind and the heart of God in this moment. For all generations, awaken us, oh God. We ask, oh God, that, that you would... You would write on our hearts that you would speak to our minds, that you would move under the surface, that you would, Lord, awaken your church to the reality that you are with us. We need your love at our lowest, and we need your love at our highest. We need you, oh God, and so we cry out with the, the, the teenagers of our church, but we pray, oh God, it would happen in our whole church, that there would be an absolute awakening that is true, and pure, Lord, that isn't, Lord, uh, tainted by the world or by fame or ego or, Lord, by, by things, Lord, where people lose their character, but, Lord, that would be integrity in the house and that you would do a move of God that's true in hearts and homes everywhere. We pray, God, that you would take care of the world around us, that we can't, we can't hold it together. We can't make things happen. We can't change decisions that are being made, but we can bring those people and decisions to you. And so we pray that you be the people in Haiti, that, Lord, you would do somehow a, a, re, a rebuilding, not just of the buildings, but also of government. And, Lord, corruption would be rooted out, and, Lord, there would be righteousness in that land, and the least of these would be taken care of. We pray for Afghanistan and all the mess of, that's going on there right now. We pray, God, you protect people who are vulnerable and hurting. And we pray, God, that in the middle of it, the, 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 the church of Jesus Christ would rise up and be bold as a lion, just as they were in the New Testament. And that, Lord, you would do a miracle in that space, we pray. We thank you. And as we move into the word, I pray that you give us open minds and hearts to what you are about to show us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. So the last part of the series, Moving Forward, the title of my message today is Living the Dream Without Losing It. <laughs> Living the Dream Without Losing It. Once you've received the answer to your prayer, you've persevered and settled into the new, how do you keep the dream going without losing it? I mean, how do you, how do you 
overcome the tendency to drift, to unravel? How do parents get their victory, not only for themselves, but, but that special move of God and connection that you have with Jesus? How does it pass to your children? And today I want us to go to look at Joshua chapters 23 and 24. We've been looking at Joshua's life the last couple of weeks And he's led Israel out of the wilderness into the promised land. And by the time we get to chapters 23 and 24, he has hit the end of his life. And so he's seen all of these victories, all the prayers, all the things that they were looking forward to. They are now living the dream. Many of you might be living the dream right now. You've persevered for years and decades, and you're finally living in an answered prayer. And you can identify with Joshua because what he's about to share is the most important words to those who would follow. Joshua is about to die. And so he is passing on the most important information for those who are currently living in the dream. And how can they stay in that dream, that promised land, without losing it? Look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. This is what Joshua says to the people. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He's making a a declaration, but he's also leaving the choice with the people. Because the reality is, as they moved into the promised land, there were people who did not serve the God who got them into the promised land. And the reality is the people had a choice once they were there of would they continue to follow God and his leadership or would they give in to the pressures and conform to the voices around them? In other words, they had a choice. And Joshua says, listen, you can choose, but whatever y'all choose, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And so he makes this declarative statement Whatever you guys choose, I want you to know what I'm doing. As for me and my, my house, me as in me as an individual, anybody that's going to move into the future and retain and live in the dream without losing it has to be a person that looks at themselves and says, I am responsible for myself. I'm not going to blame anybody. I'm not going to point the finger. I'm going to stand alone before Jesus someday. Did you know that? There is a day coming appointed when you will stand to give an account by yourself. You won't be able to say, she made me do it. You aren't going to be able to say, well, we had a stupid president. And you can point to any error you want in your history. You can't say, you can't say, well, uh, I just had a bad background and it was because I was a victim. I made bad choices. That's not going to work on judgment day. On judgment day, you will stand alone before the Lord and give an account. Joshua says, as for me, he starts with himself. And I would say to you this, for you, your family, your business, your group of friends, whatever you're thinking about, if you want to pray and get an answer to your prayer and stay in it without losing it, it starts with you. You got to take ownership for yourself. This day and age wants to blame anybody and everything for everything. But let's get over that, all right, church? Let's be the kind of people that says, I'm going to own up to my stuff. 
It's on me. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's on me. <laughs> Revival starts with me. Change begins with me. But then he says, my, my household, meaning the people and things I own, the time I have, the influence I have, my household will serve the Lord. In other words, our agenda is going to come from God. So the, the choosing is I'm choosing to serve God in the middle of this, and anything I own and anything I oversee, we are going to serve the Lord. Whatever you think is best is best for me. How many know sometimes we think we know, but we got to check in sometimes and go, what do you think, Lord? We got to yield to what his voice is, and that's what Joshua said we need to do. Today, I want to give you three choices for living the dream without losing it. Three choices that you can make to live the dream without losing it. Number one, choose to serve the Lord by maintaining your altar. By maintaining your altar. Serving the Lord means that we fulfill God's agenda. Even though there are competing options, what I think, feel, and want, what others think, feel, and want for me, or God. And to serve the Lord, I intentionally choose to follow what God wants me, my family, my marriage to do. I'm going to follow that. And when it comes to the, the biblical practice of altars in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's this biblical pattern of how do you stay in track with serving the Lord? Well, they would build an altar. They build an altar after God did something and thank him for it. They would build an altar to commemorate the victories that God had won. Building an altar was, in the Old Testament, a very common principle to have. Altars are really important. They're really important to keep your heart from drifting. One of the things that happens is when you get into the promise, you get used to it and you start drifting. Anybody ever go on one of those floaties in a pool or on a lake? And there's like a little bed and you get on it and you start falling asleep. You start falling asleep and you think you haven't moved. And then if you open your eyes, all of a sudden you're way further from shore than you thought you were. You drift. And what happens is if you don't have altars in your life, you drift away from the very thing that keeps you grounded. So an altar is something that was really, really important. In the Old Testament, they would offer up worship and, and, and even their attention, their money, their time. Kings were judged to be successful based on what they did with the altars. So when a king would come into place in Israel, they were judged. The narrative would look at them. If they, if they uh, used an altar to worship Yahweh, the one true God, they were a good king. But if they began to use an altar to worship another god, they were judged for that. So they were judged based on what they did with the altar of their life, who they were worshiping, whose agenda they were following. And the neglect of an altar initiated spiritual drift. So if an altar went unattended and they didn't take care of it, then what happened is the whole nation would fall away from God. The altar had to be rebuilt so they could worship God in the middle of it. So here's the, here's the reality. For us, you're like, okay, Pastor Nate, are you talking about a physical altar at the, at the front of a church building? No, I'm not. All those were, over time, is in history, became a physical place for you to commemorate my heart is yielded to God. 
But an altar could be anywhere. An altar could be in your house. It's a place of communication to God where you're surrendering and saying, my heart is yours. Your agenda is mine. I choose to trust you. I put my hope in you. I thank you for what you've done in my life. Listen, in modern day America, we can build an altar around anything. And it's not always an altar to Yahweh, the one true God. Sometimes in our phone becomes an altar. Are you following what I'm saying today? And we, our phone gets our attention, gets our time, gets our, uh, we get our agenda from our phones. And we can begin to follow. Or the phone could be the very place that talks the word of God out to us. It could be the very place that, that we do our journal. It can be a place where we keep uh, uh, pay attention to our finances and, and we steward what God has given us. So the phone itself is neither good nor bad, but what we do with it determines whether or not it's an altar to the Lord. And so the altar, if we maintain our altar, we can retain God's assistance on our journey as we live out his dreams in our story. Altars were places of rededication and trust. Even in the New Testament, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, you need to pause and put your heart daily, if you will, or regularly on the altar so that you're transformed into following God's agenda and not conformed by all those other people calling out for your attention. How many of you, you got a whole bunch of other ideas coming at you on a daily basis? Other opinions about what you should do with your time and your money, your politics, how to filter the news, all those kind of things. And Paul says you need to, you need to be a living sacrifice. You need to be in a, a kind of a position or a, 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 you lean in and you say, God, here's my heart. You take your heart and you take it before God. And you say, God, I'm bringing it to the altar. My, one of my mentors, Dr. Gordon Anderson, he used to say this. It is virtually impossible to change without the altar. And what he was saying is for a Christian to be a long-term Christian that lasts, that stays in the dream, that doesn't drift away, then you regularly need to bring your heart back to a place where God can speak to it. Otherwise, you drift. That includes all kinds of things in the, in the biblical practices of Sabbath and tithing. Sabbath every seven days, making sure that you take time out away from work and all the other things that control your life. And you observe God and you appreciate his beauty and you rest in him. If you don't do that, then all of a sudden you're kind of on a rat race. You're on a treadmill of getting your energy from some other place. Listen, we should get our strength from him and him alone. Our strength comes from God and God alone. But then there's the practice of tithing, the first 10% of giving. It's not about money. And sometimes when I even mention the word tithe, some people turn their, their ears off to whatever the preacher is saying. Listen, it's not about the church getting money. Actually, the tithe is about saying, Lord, you own it all. And by giving you 10%, the other 90% 
doesn't get out of control in my life. But when God adds and he can trust you and you're tithing, you're partnering with God, he can trust you with more. It's just 10% increments. So when you're younger, you're starting your journey off and you're learning to trust him with the tithe, you discover that the 90% left over goes further than the 100% that you kept to yourself. Because God is trustworthy and he can take care of it. It keeps your heart from drifting. Jesus said it in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. See, choosing to serve daily brings strength to hold and retain vision. You got big dreams. God's brought you a long ways. You know, I, I remember when... Uh, when I was in the home and I was single and uh, I was still in high school and my mom and dad had rules in the house and they said, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I hated it because I wanted to do what I wanted to do, right? But because they held the money, come on somebody, they paid the car insurance. I had to yield to them. Then the time came when all of a sudden I was now I was, I was at college, and then I got married, and now Jody and I had responsibility for our own finances, our time, and the decisions that we made. Now it was on us to make those same kind of choices. And we didn't have much in the early days. But as we learned to trust God, he gave us more. Now for us, that included children, four of them, four hungry boys, with big grocery bills. <laughs> and so then in our careers, in our education, things began to expand as God trusted me with being a Sunday school teacher. Then I became an assistant youth pastor. Then I led a youth ministry and then God took me into Egypt and I was, I was having to teach at a university and, and I was getting trained in different ways and then God brings me back to lead a whole church. With each stage of development, I had to keep my heart in God's hands so that the experiences that he, the gifts that he gave me, the, the new opportunities and responsibilities didn't overwhelm my character. I want you to think about a bridge right now, okay? Think about a bridge. A bridge takes you from one place to the other. You ride on the top of a bridge. But underneath the bridge requires structural integrity, there has to be the right support. Of course, the architects do that. The engineers handle all of that. But you still have to upkeep all of that underneath or you have what happened in Minneapolis several years ago when the bridge collapsed on the Mississippi. For you to sustain all of the things that God continues to give you and live in the dream, you've got to pay attention to the integrity of what's underneath the surface. And underneath the surface is your heart and your, 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 your character. It's who you are. And bringing that heart back to the altar means that God is strengthening your ability to sustain the dream. People that don't stay in a walk with God and their character lose it and the bridge collapses. Are you following what I'm saying today? So this is why it's important in everyday activity to make sure you maintain the altar of your heart. 
And I'm not saying that you just come to church, although church becomes a very important altar. When you're gathered with two or three and the God's presence is here, you're reminded of who you are and what community you're a part of and the fact that Jesus is coming back for all of us. But I'm also saying on a weekly, daily, minute-by-minute basis, you need to have an altar of your heart on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. You need to position your heart in a posture where you're able to say, Lord, I'm about to go do business today. I'm in the job that you gave me and I prayed for. I've got these kids you've called me to raise. I've got this responsibility that you've given me. I want to follow your agenda right now. You see what I don't see. Search me and know me, as the psalmist says. If there be any unclean way in me, get it out. I want fresh wisdom from you. I want the anointing from you. I want the mind of Christ. I want the capacity to be the best father, the best mother, best husband, best wife. I want to be the best bus driver. I want to be the best service person at McDonald's. Whatever it is that you're doing, you need to be able to place where you're constantly saying, Lord, I bring my heart to you. Because he, when you do that, he strengthens the bridge so you can continue to move over and sustain what he's already given you. And then, of course, we need to do this in front of our kids. Let me just say this to parents and grandparents and even uncles and aunties and big brothers, big sisters, if you will, mentors. It's our responsibility to share the stories of what God has done in our life to the next generation. We need to share and we need to display to them even in our difficult times, how to trust in the Lord, how to build a personal altar in our home. Second Chronicles 20, 12, the King Jehoshaphat prayed. He said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Do your kids see you praying like Jehoshaphat? Or do they see you worried and frustrated and what you do with your anxiety is you share it on Facebook? No, they need to see you praying. They need to see you sharing things with the Lord, even when you don't have an answer. Can I get an amen, church? All right, three choices for living the dream without losing it at all. Number one was choose to serve the Lord by maintaining your altar. Secondly, live by following the Spirit. Live by following the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. (laughs) I love that language. We've got good intentions, but there's a war going on. And the spirit, if we allow the spirit to lead us, he'll help us win the battle. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies, right? We self-sabotage the dream. And we can't sustain what God wants to do in our life. But I would just say this. If you follow the Spirit, he'll help. God is doing you last. He wants lasting fruit in your story. He's going to help you persevere through the sinful nature. And our sinful nature wants to do what we shouldn't be doing. How many are planning to go to the state fair this year? All right. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? On my left, I see fried 
Snicker bars or whatever it is. And on my right, I see cotton candy. Up ahead is Sweet Martha's Donuts or cookies. My goodness, it's like everywhere, right? Well, in life, that's the way it is. Now, you, I still don't understand why you pay money to go in to pay more money for food, to watch other people eat, to look at cute pigs. I, I'm still not there yet. But my, my, here's my point. And I'm, I think I'm going to the state fair tomorrow, so... <laughs> I'm like preparing myself, right? <laughs> Here's my point. If I listen to the Spirit, the Spirit will help me overcome these other things. This, if I follow the sinful nature, bad stuff's going to happen. What does Paul say in verse 19 of chapter 5 of Galatians? When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, they will not live in the dream. They'll lose it. But if you choose to follow the Spirit, this is the best part. Look at verse 22. But, everybody said but. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. In other words, all that Jesus is doing in you, in your family, in your work, in your school is meant to last. And if you lean into the Spirit and follow him, he will help you while you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. If you follow the Spirit, you will live the dream without losing it. That means as you go through a day, you've built your altar, but you're leaning on the Spirit. Oh, Lord, I feel like I want to do those things that my sinful nature is desiring. I feel the pressure. I feel anger. I feel anger towards my family members. I feel anger towards people or whatever it may be. And it could lead to other things. So in that moment, it's not a sign there's something wrong with you. It's just an opportunity to say, I need the fruit. Holy Spirit, this is my moment. I don't want to give in to that. I want you to lead me. I want the results that you have for me. And instead of anger and division, jealousy, all the things that the, the, the sinful nature wants to drive me toward, instead of all of that, I want what you give me, which is pure and holy and true. Three choices for living the dream out without losing it. One, choose to serve the Lord by maintaining your altar. Two, live by following the Spirit. And three, have vision for God's next mission. Choose not to settle. Choose not to give up, but to be open instead to God's assignments. Don't hug the stuff you've got in the dream more than you are open to what God wants to do next. Some people, they get so hung up on their 
their role, that they missed the larger mission. Moms and dads who prayed to have kids and then they have a kid and they raise the kid and then the kid wants to leave them. And then when they leave the home, like, oh, it's all over. No, it's not. You need to be open to God's next mission, his vision for your life. So you don't get stuck hugging the past. Our dreams have got to get bigger than our memories, folks. We got to think ahead and be open to what God wants to do next. Second, or in Acts chapter two, Peter stands up before the crowd and he quotes from Joel and he says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. See, I just believe that, how many know these are the last of the last days probably? But there's a promise that God will pour out his spirit on everybody. Like old people, young people, and everybody in between. Men and women. And what does it say that they would do? It says that they would prophesy. Prophecy, when I was growing up, had this kind of weird perspective that it was only some older person in the back of a church talking about, thus saith the Lord, this is the end of the days. And sometimes that was a move of God, so I'm not discounting that, but that's not what this is talking about. The promise of the spirit being poured out and that we would all prophesy is that we would in real time be receiving God-inspired instructions, God-inspired words, God-inspired life for the life he's called us to live. I believe that God is pouring out a spirit on every neighborhood of our city. I believe that he's pouring out on every person that's in this room. And if we lean in and listen and receive the promise of the Spirit, God will help us be better at what he's already called us to do. You don't have to do this thing alone. He wants to go with you. And if you're not dead, his vision for you is not complete. We need each other. I want you to stand with me on each of our locations today. Go ahead and stand. We're going to transition here in a moment where on each location we're going to to pray, but I want to, I want to challenge you to do something. I want to do like what Joshua did to the people of Israel, only this is Pastor Nate to the people of Emmanuel. I want you to make your own altar where you are. Maybe it's while you stand there, you're thinking about I'm making an altar to the Lord. Some people might need to kneel down and surrender to God and say, God, I need to surrender to you and your agenda. Others of us might want to come to the front of the room. We call used to call this the altar, and you can still call it. And you want to come and bow your knee at the front of the room while we sing. I encourage you to do that. If you're online and you're joining us and you're just thinking, what am I going to do? You can bow down in your living room. You can make that place where you're at an altar. But as you do, I want you to choose to lay your whole life before God, past, present, and future, to choose to follow the Spirit, to be open to God's new vision for your story, a new picture of what Jesus can do through you. And if you need to trust Jesus for salvation, you can do it right now, and at the end of the service, our campus pastors are gonna come up and they're gonna give you another opportunity, but yield your life to Jesus even right now. So I'm going to pray, and then all of our worship teams in each location are going to go after God, and I challenge you 
to make an altar before we leave this service. Father, we come before you right now. And we thank you, Lord, that you're on the move in our church in every generation. But Lord, we take seriously our responsibility to choose this day who we will serve. We will serve you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so, Lord, we choose, Lord, to come to you, to stay in real time, to ask you for a fresh update. Lord, to help keep the guardrails up so that we don't get off track and drift away from you, to help us as parents with our kids, and Lord, for grandparents with their grandkids, and Lord, for people in the body of Christ in relationships, in our businesses, in our places of work, oh God, we're on assignment. I pray, God, that we would not drift away from you, but we be acutely aware and tuned in to what you're doing in this hour, we pray, oh God, we lift our hearts, our souls to you. We come to the altar today. Amen.